Great to see you today. We are having a sign-up out there. Come on out here. Good man. Everybody say hello to Kelly. Kelly will be behind the tables out in the lobby there afterwards to sign up for our single social. So after the 11 o'clock service next week, we're getting a bunch of food and we're going to have kind of a fun time and a big singles mixer. And so uh, Kelly's going to be there signing up. Any questions you have, Kelly has all the answers. So you can see him about that. You do me a favor before you leave. Can you bring that whiteboard out and just put it over? Thank you very much. So next week we're uh, going to, I'm going to talk, I'm going to have a message about how to find the love of your life. Okay, and then we're going to have four, Kelly being one of them, uh, kind of all-star singles up here after that message. It'll be a short message, and then we'll have just a brief kind of forum, and they're going to give us, thank you very much for doing that, my good man. They're going to give us some insights on some topics that have uh, been suggested to me to talk about, and I've gotten together and talk about that. We're talking about pursuit. What does pursuit look like? What is, when's, what's it okay to pursue? And we're talking about websites, and we're doing all kinds of stuff. What, how can you encourage pursuit? So we're going to get all into that issue. Now, if you're married, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't need to show up for that. I'm, I'm married. So he, I want to let you know what so many singles here at Grace say to me all the time. They say, we really would appreciate the support and the prayers and the understanding of the married people. So Here's what I want to say to you. We are a family. If, in this room, if we're anything, we're a family. And so when your brother or sister uh, is looking for prayer, encouragement, and support, and understanding, what do we do? Well, we give it to them in a perfect world. We give it to them, right? So that's why you're going to show up, because they're all going to be looking for you next week to know that you're there and hearing and listening and praying. And this is what we want to do. This is what we want to foster. So I want to encourage you, if you're married... Don't take next Sunday off. Actually show up because it's an important part of the family. And, uh, you know, there's a number of single people who would really like to find the love of their life. They would like to find that divine match that we've been talking about. And I really want to encourage you to come to hear and to pray and to be aware. So I can't say that strongly enough other than to say if you don't show up, God's going to get you. Uh, That's all I can say about that this morning. Okay. I want to make just a brief... Uh, disclaimer this morning before we talk about the spirituality of passion. This is the portion in the song that is going to tie all the passion together. This isn't going to be tremendously exciting. I don't know that anybody's going to jump out of their seat and say yes, but I need you to hear this. This will be the thing that will lay the catalyst to the passion in your life. This will be it. So don't miss it because, oh, it's not as scintillating as maybe some of the other things we talked about. Don't miss it. Although at the same time, these verses that we come to this week are the most passionate, the hottest, the smokinest, hottest verses we will come to. Because of that, I'll keep my comments very brief about those things. We'll go into graphic detail, but I will be reading some things and I won't be explaining everything. Now, with that being said, Some of you are thinking, my goodness, man, we're six weeks into this and you're still talking about smoking, hot, racy passion. Yes, I am. And the reason I am is because God's talking about it. We're six weeks into this. We're at the end of chapter five. We're going to look at six and seven today. And God is still talking about that. And that's a message to us. The hottest passion wasn't found outside of marriage. The hottest passion wasn't found on the wedding night. 
The hottest passion God's saying to us is found after they've been married for quite some time. And it is tied to their spirituality, which I'll be talking about. Now, this might make some of you uncomfortable. So in a minute, I'm going to pray, and it's a good time. If it really makes you uncomfortable, uh, you know, nobody, everybody's heads down, eyes closed, and we're praying, you could just, like, slip out. Because you might be uncomfortable. Um, you might be offended. You might be embarrassed. I need you to know this, is that uh, I am too. And uh, <laughs> if it was okay for me to walk out, I'd probably walk out. I was at my uh, pastor's prayer group this past week, and as I'm walking in, another pastor saw me, and I guess he had seen one of the news pieces that was done, and he said to me, how's Arlington sex, pastor? And I, that's not a title that I'm after. It's not a title that I'm like, yes, I want to, you know, that's, that, that's embarrassing to me. This has uh, been very difficult for me to talk about. But I do want to say one thing to you uh, before I begin. Why am I talking about it then? Because God talks so much about it. It's not like this is one verse in some book. It's an entire book that's dedicated to this whole thing. One entire book that God gives us all about passion. And God proclaims himself as the master of all passion. And he gives us this manual. So it can't be ignored. And here's the thing, what we do. Here at Grace Community Church... We take major, these major portions of the Bible, and we go through them. And the reason why is because the one thing that I know is that God's word is powerful. God's word, according to the book of Hebrews, is living. It's alive. In the book of Ezekiel, it says that when God's word is proclaimed, dead things come back to life. And so the reason we're going through this I believe as we proclaim and we explain God's word in the Song of Solomon that God's going to heal broken marriages by the power of his word. I believe as we proclaim and explain this that God's going to take a good marriage and he's going to say that's not good enough. He's going to make a great marriage by the power of his word. I believe by the power of his word as we proclaim and explain the Song of Solomon that God's going to make divine matches. God's going to bring men and women together in divine matches. Because you know what? It's not my words that can do it. It's not some expert out there, right, who holds the key. It's the God of the universe who, by the power of his almighty word, when it is explained, is going to release that power of his word amongst us and do something way beyond what we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So this is why, even though I'm a little nervous about stuff like this and don't like talking about it, that we're going to go through this because we can't shy away from the power of God's word. So, let's pray, and uh, it's a good time to slip out if you are nervous, and we totally understand. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your powerful word. Uh, Lord, you talk to us about a subject that is really on most everybody's minds. You talk to us about romance. You talk to us about passion. You talk to us about sex. Help us, Father, today, each one of us, whether we're married, we're single, whether we're young, we're old, doesn't matter. You have something you want to say to us. We're not randomly here. We might have thought that we decided to get up and go to church today, but you have something else to say about it. You brought us here today. Speak to us through your word and help us. In Christ's name, amen. 
All right, Derek uh, talked last week uh, in a wonderful way about conflict in their marriage. It was the first conflict that we saw. They had a fight. And this kind of big, you know, blowout fight it wasn't long lived because they made up quite quickly. And we find that in chapter 5, verses 2 to 7. Then when you get to verse number 8, she says to this chorus, remember it's a song, and so you have like this choir of people, and she keeps, well, the song keeps referring to him as the daughters of Jerusalem. So it says to the daughters of Jerusalem, if you find him, if you find my lover, she always calls him lover, if you find this guy, we had a fight, tell him that I am sick with love for him. I am sick with love. My heart aches for him. And so they say back, the choir of people, they say back to her. They say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, time out. You want us to look for him? Can you describe this guy to us? Like, can you tell us, what does he look like? We just can't randomly going out looking for people all over the place, yelling. So describe it. And she says, okay, you want a description? I'll give you a description. And so she gives, for the first time, this very lengthy description of what this guy looks like. And here's the thing that I would like you to put in your fill in the blank on the back of your little bulletin right there. First of all, to wives. Tell him that he is a man's man. Tell your man he is all man. Baby, you are just all man. Okay, why? Well, let's look at the first piece of the description. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse number 10. At the beginning of her description of him, she says, My lover is radiant and ruddy. Some of you Bible experts will recall that King David was called what? Ruddy. What does that mean? It means he's masculine. Who was King David? He was a guy not to be messed with. He was a romantic. He was passionate about his relationship with God. And he was a warrior. He was ruddy. He was a man's man. He was, you, you do not mess with King David. He was a tough guy. He was all man. So, so when it says he's ruddy, it says he's a real man. He's a real man. And she says, you are a real man. Now, you might go home today, wife, and you'll say to your husband, baby, I just want to tell you something. You are a man. You are all man. And he might look at you and say, you know what? You just heard that at church today. It's not doing anything for me. Or he might just shake his head and walk away. But I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you insight into what's going on in his mind when you say that, even though you heard it at church just now. He's saying, oh, yes. Baby, say it again. That's what he's saying. I don't care what comes out of his mouth. I'm telling you what's inside of his heart. That's why you should. Why should you say it? Here's why you should say it. You ready for this? Here's the other fill in the blank right next to it. You're going to say this because you trust God. Because you believe in God Almighty. You believe that God is the master and creator of romance. And that's why you're going to say it. You're not going to say it because it's a nice thing to say. You're not going to say it because it's a good thing to say. You're not going to say it because that's what the marriage books say you should say. The reason you're going to say it is because you are a believer in Almighty God. And you trust God and His Word, and He's the master of romance. And that wife is why you're going to look at your husband square in the eye and say, you're a man's man. That's why you'll do it. Because this is what God gives us in His Word. Now, I'd like to take just a few moments and read through the verses of chapter 5. So, I didn't put them on your, uh, on your outline if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Or if you have that little app on your phone like I do, the version, you can pull that up, chapter 5. We'll start in verse 10, and let's just go all the way down to 16, which is the end of the chapter. My lover, she's speaking. My lover is radiant and ruddy. He's outstanding among ten thousands. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in the milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks 
are like beds of spice yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. Check this out. His arms are rods of gold. Wow. Would you like to hear your wife's, baby, your arms are rods of gold? You know the sentiment, what's being said there? She said, I got to get my hands on some of that gold. It's <laughs> exactly what she's saying. Maybe your arms are rods of gold set with crystallite. His body, polished ivory, decorated with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. Do you think this guy really looked that way? You think he looked that way? Let me tell you something. She chose, because she trusted in God, she chose to see his masculinity with eyes of God in him. It's very important. Because she trusted in God. His appearance is like Lebanon. Choices. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my lover. All right. She calls him lover constantly. So your first fill in the blank is you need to tell him that he's a man's man because you trust in God, wife. Here's the second thing you need to tell him. You need to tell him he's a great lover. You know why? Because you trust in God. Now you say, now, John, what do I do if he's not? You coach him up. You know, coach, coach him up. Coach the man up. Give him some help. Gently, patiently, give the man some help. Coach him up, all right? But you're going to do this. Why? Why do you think you should do it? Because you trust in the God of passion. That's why you should do it. Because you trust in God. Now, I put on your reading list, which is in your bulletin, a number of books. I hope that you've picked up at least one of those books and that you're reading it. There's a full buffet of books that are there. I mean, married, single, men, women, there's all kinds of wonderful things that are there. I'm going to read out of this book. It's called Intimacy Ignited. It's kind of a commentary slash uh, two couples write it together. So they're giving both a biblical commentary for historical reasons, and they're also giving some application. And they said something very interesting here Uh, which is easier for me to read that they said rather than me to say to you myself. So this is is wives and the impact that they have upon their husband, particularly what we're talking about right now. So, quote, this is what it says. Many husbands say that you, wife, are the key to them overcoming their fears and to feel good about themselves as a lover. Think for a moment about how God made men and women. Within the body of each female, he intricately wove ways for it to shout, you are feminine, you are woman. Every month, a woman is reminded that she is a woman. Most of us feel that we could do without that monthly reminder. A woman carries a baby and feels her child kick. And with each thrust of it inside of her ribs, she is reassured, you're a woman, you're feminine, you're a mother. A mother holds the baby to her breast and her body whispers, you're a woman, you're a mother. God built one thing into a man that his body shouts, you're masculine, you're a man. Ladies, we're certain that you know what that one thing is. This is why a husband's prowess as a lover is directly tied to his masculinity. That is why it is so important that a wife affirms his lovemaking skill. So when she says in the Song of Solomon, when she says to him, to Solomon, I am lovesick, satisfy me. He felt like a super stud. 
This sometimes surprises women at the following woman comment. So these people who wrote this book do a lot of marriage conferences across the nation, and they lifted out some excerpts of wives. Here's one. I was shocked to learn, and I had been married over 30 years, that a man's ego is tied to sex. The idea never occurred to me, and my husband would never tell me. But he sure confirmed it when I probed him. That is truly a revelation, and it makes me sad that I was so ignorant of this before. Now, a husband speaks. He's got something to say. They pull a quote out here. He says, the husband quote says, the most pleasure that a man can get from sex is to know that he is pleasing his wife. And he says, we were making love last night, and right in the middle of it, she said, how long is this going to take? There's a bag of pretzels over there. Could you pass it if it's going to take, <laughs> take much longer? Um, finally, Bible study. This is about a Bible study. A woman's name is Darla. She said, one evening at our marriage group Bible study, we were asked to introduce our mate by telling something that we appreciated about him or her. The answer was, answers were strictly mundane. He's a great father. She's a great creative cook. Blah, blah, blah. I decided to be more vulnerable and honest, so when it was my turn to introduce my husband, whose name is Parker, I said, I'm grateful that Parker is a wonderful lover. Afterward, every man in the room raced over to Parker and asked, how did you get her to say that? <laughs> tell her, tell us, tell us, what is it that you do? Parker was very, very embarrassed, but I know secretly he loved feeling like the super lover of the century. Darla told us, so that's unquote. So then Darla told us that six months later, men were still running up to Parker and asking, how did you get her to say that? Why would you do this? Because you trust God. Why would you do this? Because you trust God is the reason that you would do it. And God is the master of romance. So, um... They have a fight, they make up quickly, and now we want to turn to chapter uh, 6, verses 4 to 7, because now we have another description here, okay? And this description here is, is after the fight, he is describing her, and he has some things to say about her. Let's uh, read verses 4 to 7 of chapter 6. It says, you are beautiful, my darling, as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me, they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Does this resonate, Debbie? Have you heard this before? Has he ever said anything like this before? Yeah. He's almost verbatim quoting what he said to her on their wedding night. And the question is, why is he doing that? Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. So she has all of her teeth, and he's excited about the fact that she has all of her teeth. <laughs> Your temples behind your veil like the halves of a pomegranate. Okay, let's, uh, let's stop right there. Um, has, he, has he, like, reached his creative max? Like, did he have to go back many, many years back to the wedding night and say, I don't have anything else to say, and I'm, you know, I'm out of creative juices, so let me just tell you what I said on the wedding. It worked one time before. Maybe it'll work again. Well, we know that he's not out of his creative bullets of things to say, but you know why? Because we're getting ready to read Chapter 7, and my goodness... He gives us a whole new slew of things that you've never heard before, all right? So why is he doing this here? Here's the reason why. Because they have had a 
fight, and he's trying to communicate something. So I, wanna, I want us to play a song, and the song's important because it actually makes this point. And if you know the artist, uh, if you'll yell it out, um, maybe we'll give you a special prize. I don't know. Maybe God will give you a prize. So let's run that song. Tell me if you know the artist. Here it comes. Somebody got it? Orleans. Okay. You all recognize the tune? So the one. All right. So let me, let me tell you. Thank you very much. Let me tell you why he's telling her she's still the one. Why is he going through the same list that he did on the wedding night? Because he's letting her know, because this wife, after all these years and after conflict, notice, after a fight, she's wondering inside, am I, am I still the one? Am I the prize in your life? Am I that unique woman for you? Do you only have eyes for me? And so very masterfully he comes in and he lets her know through this by the same thing he said on the wedding night, you are still the one. Still need. So husband, if you'll write that in on the back, tell her she's still the one. Very, very important that you let her know that she's still the one. And the reason you're going to do that is because you trust in God. Anytime you have a fight with your wife, you need to make a beeline to this point and let her know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she is still the one. You have to get that point across. He says in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse number 9, my dove, my perfect one, you are unique. You know, somebody asked me about this uh, after the first service. They said, well, wait a minute. Didn't Solomon have like all these troops of wives and concubines and all this kind of look? This is not, this is Hebrew poetry. And Hebrew poetry is written in a way that, yes, we draw from the reality of Solomon, right? We're drawing from the reality, but it's not about Solomon. It's about every man and every woman. It pertains to every single person in this room. That's Hebrew poetry. That's the nature of it, okay? So, yeah, Solomon, you know, made some mistakes, particularly at the end of his life. But this, this is not about, specifically about Solomon. This is about all of us. And so when you have a fight with your wife, she needs that reassurance. And husband, you've got, and you say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm angry with her. And I, I feel like holding on to my anger for her for, for a while because I'm just so upset. And she's, you know, done this and that. And I'm just angry. And I think I want to go watch TV. Or I think I want to go to a ball game somewhere. And I want to let all this subside. Let me tell you the reason why you're not going to do that. And why the reason you're going to come back to her. And why you're going to apologize. And why you're going to take the lead on that. And why you're going to say... I love you, you're unique, you're my dove, you're my one and only. Here's the reason you'll do it, because you trust God. That's why you'll do it. You'll do it because you trust God. Not because you're a good person. I hope you are a good person, right? Not because some marriage expert told you to do that. Not because some pastor stood on stage. Here's the reason you'll do it, because you trust God and you're passionate about your relationship with Christ. And so you won't allow conflict to fester because you are a believer in Almighty God. And you will come to her and say, I want you to know that you are still the one. You're the apple of my eye. This is what he does here. Very, very powerful. Uh, he talks to her, uh, gives her this reading from head to toe. Now, in just a second, we're going we're gonna to see something else uh, that, that happens here. All right. Uh, let me say one other thing. You know, a few weeks ago, I made reference to Parade Magazine. And uh, what was the actress name? Michelle Pfeiffer. My mom called me after that Sunday afternoon. She said, did you know in that same parade magazine 
that Tom Hanks's wife, I think her name is Rita Wilson. Does anybody who's up on pop culture, Rita Wilson? So they were doing an interview with her. And says, you've been married to him for so long. You know, you're still in love so much. Tell us how. And you know what she says? She says, he leaves me love notes all over the place. At the coffee maker, by the telephone. She says, I collect them all. Why, why would a husband do that? You know, I have so many wives say to me, I wish he would just send me a text message. He, he doesn't have to say all these colorful things to me. He doesn't have to, you know, tell me I'm like a horse. or <laughs> doesn't have to do all, doesn't do all these. You have to be here a few weeks ago to understand why that was funny. All right. He could just have to say, hello, hello, but he won't do it. Why will you do this? Why will you write love notes like Tom Hanks? Why will you do this? Why would you do all that hard work? And the main reason you should do this is because you trust God. You trust the God of passion. That's why you do it. All right, one, one other thing, and then we're going to get into chapter 7. Husband, tell her she's beautiful. Why? Because you trust God. Look what he says, Song of Solomon 6.4. You're beautiful, my darling. Now, he says that over and over and over again. Here's what you need to know, all right? Ready for this? God created woman. She's the crown of creation, the final thing. She is the top, final thing that God made in all of creation. She's the most beautiful thing that God made in creation. And I can pretty much assure you that almost 100% of women in this world all doubt that. What we consider to be uh, what this world considers to be some of the most beautiful women in the world, they doubt that too. Isn't that interesting? After, you know, you've been married a while and you've had conflict and you've had problems and all this kind of stuff, it's so easy to see the flaws. It is so easy to see the negative things. What we have an example of here. It's because a husband trusts in God and has a passion for God. He chooses to see the unique beauty that is inside of every single woman. And he sees that unique beauty in his wife. That's a choice. That's a choice. We have men in this world that are, in the world standards, married to some knockout women. Yet they cheat on them. Why? You have to choose to see the unique beauty in your wife. Now, I want to talk to the single guys for a second. Single guys, that woman that God has chosen for you, that woman of God that God has chosen for you, you have got to stop seeing all the flaws like you're at a buffet picking out what food that you want. You have got to instead choose to see what God is showing you with eyes. That's why the Bible talks about give me eyes to see and give me ears to hear. That is a choice. God, give me eyes to see the beauty that you're calling me to. Very important. If we don't have this in our marriages or if we don't have this as a single guy, this is going to trip us up and cause us lots of problems. You must choose to see the unique beauty. And so he tells her all over the place, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Now, they had a fight. They had a big fight. They made up quickly. They blessed each other verbally. Now, what do you think is going to happen next? Anybody, just venture a guess. 
Make up sex. Exactly. Why would they do such a thing? Because they trust God. Why they would do such a thing. Now, uh, we are going to, uh, and I won't give much explanation of this, but we have now come to the most passionate verses in the entire song. Again, I think it's fascinating that God gives us this now because the world says, oh, man, you know, sex cools off. It's boring to be married a while. And God says, oh, no, contrary to that, it actually heats up if you follow the message of the song. Right. So all of the excitement starts at the end of chapter six, where he says, I went down to the grove of nut trees. And there's lots of uh, stuff there that I'm not going to unpack for you. But uh, that's where the excitement heats up. Now, let's pick it up at the very, very end of chapter 6, where he says, why would you gaze on the Shulamite? Shulamite is a feminine form of the name Solomon. Okay? Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Manahim? I need to set the tone for you. She's dancing for him privately. She's having a private dance for her husband. They're all kind of whipped up into a lather. She is not dancing the Macarena. She, she, not, she didn't let, like, decide to break out and doing the electric slide all of a sudden, all right? She's doing something completely different, right? So he says, how beautiful are your sandaled feet? Why is he talking about it? Every other time he's talked head to toe. Now he's going he's to go toe to head. Why is he doing that? Because she's dancing. And he's noticing her feet. And back in his day, sandaled feet were a very, tra- certain sandals were extraordinarily attractive. Kind of like certain high heels of the day. Some guys tell me they really like high heels. I don't know if any of those guys are in this uh, room here today. But this is kind of like the high heels of the day. And uh, he's drawn to looking at her feet. So that's where he starts. Oh, prince's daughter, your graceful legs are like jewels. The work of the craftsman's hands. Your navel is like a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is like the mound of wheat encircled by lilies. You're thinking, man. Is that a cool thing to say about your wife? Your waist is like wheat. I'm not going to explain what's going on here, but you've got to know he's not really talking about wheat. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon. Let's skip down to verse number six. How beautiful you are and pleasing you are. Oh, love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm. Let me stop right here. I don't want to give too much information on this. But I just want to tell you this. What is with the palm tree thing that's going on here that I'm about ready to read. Back in their day, they would have people who would actually climb up into a palm tree and that the fruit in the palm tree had to be fertilized. Okay? So, uh, he says this. How beautiful, how pleasing, O love, with your delights. Your stature is like the palm and your breast like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree on my U version of... Uh, does anybody have U version app on your phone where you can listen to it? A couple of you do. Oh, you should. You should get that. I've listened to the song Solomon now probably 50 times in my car because I just push the button on my U version and it reads it to me. And in the NIV version, the guy's British. The Brits are so passionate. So when he comes to this part, you know, he, you can tell the guy reading it actually is really kind of getting whipped up into a lather. He's like, "I will climb the palm tree." And um, <laughs> you just kind of want to say when you hear it, "Take it easy, man." You're freaking everybody out. Take it easy. Okay. Uh, okay. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like the clusters of the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. 
Her response is this. I'll just read the first part of it. She simply says this. May the wine go straight to my lover. May the wine go straight to my lover. Uh, God's message is clear here. The height of passion is not found outside of marriage. The height of passion is actually not found on the wedding night. The height of passion for this couple, because of their spirituality, is found after they've been married quite some time. It actually grows stronger and stronger and stronger. Now, you know why that's so interesting? I had a friend sent me um, an email with a link to a website, you know, recently. And it was, it, this website is all about men who are like, we'll never get married. We'll never get married. And there's all these guys writing on there how marriage is so terrible. And here's the one reason why. Because they have a firm belief that when they get married, right, like Beyonce said, if you want it, put a ring on it. Well, they say, Beyonce, when I put a ring on it, it turned into a popsicle. That's what they're saying. Because it gets boring and almost non-existent. So they say, we'll never get married because the best sex is found outside of marriage. And I want you to know this. That's counterfeit. That's, that's, a, that's of the devil. Because what the Bible says here, which always rings true, is that the best sex is not found outside of marriage. It's not even found on the wedding night. It's found as two people continue to draw closer to God and to each other. And this is the message that we see right here. That's why this is so powerful. So, uh, why would, and I listed a number of things for you on your bulletin. Why would a husband do, and I, only, I didn't give them all, I just brainstormed a few things down. Why would a husband pray with his wife? Why would a husband pray for his wife? Why would a husband praise God um, with his wife? Why would he praise his wife? Why would a husband make up quickly when there's been a fight? Why does he lead his family spiritually? You know, my wife keeps saying to me over and over again, uh, the most attractive thing about a man is when a man is a godly man. A godly man is an attractive man. That's what an attractive man looks like when he's godly. Why would he serve his wife? Why is he patient with his wife when he doesn't want to be patient? Why does he shop with his wife? Why does he shop for his wife? Why does he put her needs first? Why is he willing to die for his wife? Because he trusts in God. Wives, why in the world would you say and do, walk and talk like this woman is doing in the Song of Solomon, chapters 5, 6, and 7. My goodness. Uh, I hope that you have read these verses yourself and seriously contemplated what in the world is going on here. I mean, she is extremely uh, sensual with him, to say the least. Why would you do that? Isn't that ungodly? Well, in the song between the man and the woman, the husband and the wife here, uh, actually what it is is she is saying, I trust in God. That's why I'm doing this. I trust in the master of romance and the master of passion, and this is why I am doing this. The heights of passion, everybody, can only be reached when we are reaching for new heights in our relationship with God. That's the message of the song here. This is what ties everything together. This is what ties all the passion together. It is impossible to reach the height of passion unless you are reaching higher in your relationship with God. 
When you reach higher in your relationship with God, all the passion is made possible. That's the message of the song. It's very important. Now, in conclusion, I want to show you a couple things in their description of each other, which is very important that we see. He says about her at the beginning, or she says about him at the beginning of her description. Chapter 5, verse number 11. She says, his head is pure as gold. What does that mean? You know, back in their day, they made idols where their heads were pure gold. Some of you remember, you were around when we studied the book of Daniel, right? In the book of Daniel, it says they made this idol and the head was pure gold. And everybody had to bow down to this idol because the idol was God. She's not saying he's God. She's saying he's God-like. Another way to say it, he's godly. This is a man of God. This is a man who is pursuing God for all he's worth. So that's her first description of him. That's what he's like. Here's how it all starts. This is a godly man. What does he say about her? Well, he says in his description about her in chapter 6, verse number 4, he says, you're beautiful like Terza. Terza is a city, and the name of the city means to be pleasing. And then he says, you're, you're like Jerusalem. What does it mean that she's like Jerusalem? You know what the Bible tells us about Jerusalem? It says Jerusalem is the dwelling place of Almighty God. It says Jerusalem is the city of living God. And check this out. Psalm 50, verse number 2 says, God shines forth from Jerusalem. He says to her, God shines forth from your life. So she says, you're a godly man. You're pursuing God. And I sense God in your life. And he says to her, God is shining forth from your life. This is why all the passion is possible. Because they are pursuing and they're seeking God together. If you want to reach the heights of passion, then you have to reach for new heights in your relationship with God. This is where it all starts. Here is where passion is made possible. And I know that's not necessarily the sexiest thing to think about. But it's true. We have to seek new heights in our relationship with God. Look at this. I, I put Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Paul's speaking, and he's quoting Genesis chapter 2. He says, for this reason, a man is going to leave his father and his mother. He's going to be united with his wife, and the two are going to become one flesh. And then he says something very odd. He says, this is a profound mystery. What does it mean that it's a profound mystery? You know what he's saying? He says, this is so deep. It is so deep. I don't even have words for this. It is a mystery. There are two very important things, I've talked about this before, that the Bible calls one, the Trinity, which theologians can only scratch the surface. It's too deep. It's a profound mystery, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What is that? How do you explain it? It's too deep. We can't explain it. We're like kids playing around uh, in like three inches of water when actually the Trinity is miles deep. You know what's being said here? The same thing is being said of marriage. The other thing that the Bible calls one is marriage. God, husband, wife. God, husband, and wife. It is a profound mystery that when God, when a husband and a wife put God at the center of their lives and they're drawing closer to God, that they draw closer to each other. I'm going to draw a simple diagram right here. It's not rocket science, and I actually don't have to be a good artist to draw it, which is really helpful to me. So... Let me give you a triangle. This is the Trinity. And here is God at the top. And you have a husband. I'll just put an H. And you got the wife right here. They are both drawing closer to God. What is happening to them as they draw closer to God? They are drawing closer to each other. It's a profound mystery. When a husband and a wife pray together, God does something deep and profound, too, too difficult for words. Too difficult for words. Husband, you need to grab your wife's hand and you need to pray with her. And you need to do that every single day. Krista and I do that every single day. 
every now and then we actually kneel down beside our beds, beside our bed, and we pray together. Here's the profound mystery. It's too deep for words. I can't explain it. God gets involved in a supernatural way when a husband and a wife pray together and they draw closer to God. They move closer. I can't explain it. Paul says he can't explain it either. God does something deep beyond words. Husband and wife, when you read the Bible together, when you study God's word together, look, you don't, I have so many people, I don't know where to start with the Bible. Look, this is very simple. This is extraordinarily simple. Here's what we do at Grace. We pretty much go through books, don't we? Like we're going through the Song of Solomon now. A few weeks ago, we went through the book of Acts. and the fall, we went through Daniel. We pretty much cover a chapter at a time. Here's what you could do. Read one chapter, whatever we're studying, so it's kind of just all in sync, and you're thinking about it, and we explain it when you come on Sunday. Read the chapter. So if we're covering Acts chapter 12, read Acts chapter 12. If we're covering Song of Solomon chapter 5, read that. And read that together as a couple. I hope that some of you are taking a chapter a week in your, in your married life, right? And you're reading it out loud with each other. And here's what I hope you'll do when you read that. I hope you'll read that. And you'll say, God, I want this. I hope you'll take that Bible and you'll read that chapter. And you say, God, you, this is what you gave us. I want this for my married life. All right, singles. I hope, and there's a bunch of you that want to be married. I hope that you'll take it and read a chapter a week. And you'll read that chapter. And when you're done, you'll say, God, that's what I want. That's what I want. I'm believing by the power of your word, as I have spoken your word out, as I've read your word, I'm believing, almighty God, that you'll make that possible for my life because I want it. And sit back and see what the power of God's word does. And you do it over and over and over again. And as you do the power of God's word and you move closer to God, God does amazing things in marriages. God heals broken marriages. God makes good marriages great. God causes divine matches to take place. That's a parable thing. Look, God's word tells us it's extremely powerful. We'll let it, cut it loose. Cut it loose. Allow it to be powerful in your life. Read it. Claim it. Say, God, I want this. This is a great day to stop by that wall over there with the prayer team and go up to those people who are dying to pray with you and say, you know what's in the Song of Solomon? I want that. That's all the prayer requests I have for you today. Pray as hard as you can right now because that's what I want in my life. When we are growing spiritually, all the passion, all the passion that we read about in the Song of Solomon is possible. When we are not growing spiritually, we are taking that possibility away. That might not be the sexiest thing to say. But it's true. It's true. God wants to bless every single one of us in this room. Take him at his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word. I thank you, God, that your word is powerful. I've seen the power of your word loosed. But more important than my own perception of that, you tell us over and over again in your word that it is powerful, that it does great, mighty, and awesome things. Father, as we have gone through this incredible book of romance for these past six weeks, as we have read it, as we have proclaimed it here in this room, 
as we, as we have explained it here, Father, I just want to ask that you would release the power of your word in this place, that you would descend upon us, and that, God, you would heal broken marriages by the power of your word, that you would make good marriages great, and that you, divine matchmaker, through the power of your word, would come into this place and bring men and women together for your honor and your glory. Father, encourage our hearts today and put, light a fire in us to pursue a relationship with you, that that is where all the passion begins. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.